This is the Tom Bigby Tales, a podcast about Northeast Mississippi and the little town of Columbus. In today's episode, we're going to depart from the usual mayhem and malfeasance of our community. And instead, I'm going to tell you a little Christmas story. Tonight is the annual Christmas tree lighting in our town. And, well, to celebrate, I thought you might like to hear a story that I wrote that is based on true events that actually happened in Columbus. You get to choose the parts that I might have exaggerated. The Mississippi Camel Whisperer. Grady waved to the sheriff as he eased in his usual place across the table at the Rhino. Hey, Bill, saw you on CNN. Check out your photo in this morning's USA Today. I'd rather not, growled Bill. He pulled his county-issued sweat-rimmed campaign hat off and mopped a few stray hairs back. He settled his hat on the orange Naugahyde bench beside him. Letha May plunked down a thick mug of steaming hot coffee in front of Bill. The usual? Bill poured milk from a metal pitcher into his cup. Hold the sausage, he said as she walked away. Letha May skid to a halt and shot a glance over her shoulder. You want bacon instead? Uh, no, thanks. I need to cut back some. He rubbed his non-existent belly. At 58, he was still lean and wiry as he had been as a standout junior college running back. Grady spooned up some sausage gravy to spread on his grits, two sunny-side-up eggs, and his fresh split steamy biscuit. Don't look now, but I think Stan's headed this way. Shit. Just the person I don't want to talk to. Bill studied his coffee cup in hopes that Stan would mosey on past their table. Good morning, Sheriff. Stan slipped into the space next to Grady across from Bill. It was. Bill slowly stirred his coffee. I sure am glad you're looking better today than you did last night. Stan chuckled. You got a date with your new friend Rufus tonight? Get on with it, Bill prompted, wishing he had not bothered to stop in the cafe today. Letha May dropped a bowl of grits, two slices of wheat toast in front of Bill. Hey, Stan, what can I get you? She fished in her hair for a pen. Just coffee. I ate already. Stan loosened his gun belt as he fought to get his oversized belly comfortable in a two-sizes-too-small khaki jacket. Bill slid down in the booth, hoping to not gather too much notice from the other diners at the tables nearby. A local lawyer leaned over the next booth. Morning, Constable. What in the Sam Hill was all that ruckus up and down Church Street last night? Oh, we had a bit of a Christmas circus up at First Baptist. Stan loved nothing more than a good story and a welcoming audience. Bill raised the menu even higher in hopes of remaining overlooked. Do tell the lawyer and his table mate full of attorneys and clerks were all ears as the tall tales Constable Stan had to share were legendary and usually involved murder, blood, and some possible leads to future lawsuits. Stan settled back in his seat, arms slung over the back. You know how the youth group up at First Baptist is having their annual live nativity this week? His audience nodded. My wife drug me out there in the cold two nights ago, one lawyer offered. Well, last night was their big night. The three wise men had delivered the gifts and the litter drummer boy was to lead off the children's choir. The TV station was there to capture it all for the 10 o'clock news. Stan held his coffee cup out for Letha May to refill as she made a pass through the tables. And the lawyer right behind him turned completely around to ease the strain on his neck. He cast an eye at Bill, who was turning steadily more, more red behind the menu. 
Well, Mary and Jesus had taken their places staring adoringly at the baby doll in the manger. They had bit backlit it all nice like. Kids did a super job on lighting and costumes this year, you know. The angel was up on the roof. They got the pastor's son with all them blonde curls the girls love. Yeah, he was sitting up there and waggling some wings. Jimmy Ray and Della Payne's triplets, Malkiar, Balthazar, and Caspar, played the three wise men, and they arrived with their gifts and dragging up Heather's old flea-bitten camel behind them. That camel just stood there on a leash like a big old dumb cud-chewing puppy dog while the kids did their kneeling and gift-giving. Well, their mama sure named them right, like they was typecast, Letha May interjected as she hovered nearby, eavesdropping. They done right good. Then the shepherds came up with the flock of sheep. Where in the hell they found sheep in Lowndes County, Mississippi is beyond me, but they were real sheep, all right. They blied and bleated and the like. One of them shepherds was the Ellis boy. He was playing a game on his phone while the sheep milled around and the Holy Family hung out. His big brother, Will, ended up confiscating his phone so he'd kneel during the adoration. Kids and their damn phones, quipped the paralegal. Well, about that time, the children's choir starts filling in around the manger scene. Shelby from the TV station was all set up to the side filming the kids when out from the back steps, Hunter Harris, the little drummer boy, only he ain't got a drum, Stan paused for effect, slowly slurping coffee and picking up a piece of the sheriff's untouched toast off his abandoned plate. Stan continued as he spread jam on the buttered bread. He had an electric guitar and an extra long cord to an amp hidden somewhere behind the stable. Oh, Lordy, Pastor Andy ain't going to like that, one of the lawyers offered. Grady nodded, his head in agreement. Oh, that ain't the half of it. Stan took a bite, chewed thoughtfully, measuring his audience's attention span. That boy began playing some cockamamie version of the little drummer boy that sent his amp screeching and the animals running. The donkey took off kicking his heels up and running for the Methodist church. The triplets tried to hang on to the balking camel, but he pulled Caspar and Balthazar down Church Street. Poor Caspar hung on desperately as the damn thing went spitting and shitting up Main Street. The sheep took off, leaping over the boxwoods in front of First Baptist, onto the hood of the choir director's brand new Mercedes. One of them ripped up Donna Kay's little Audi convertible roof. Poor sheep damn near fell in when the vinyl ripped and collapsed. Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds took off after the sheep. Joseph found the donkey, but that jack would have nothing to do with the stepdaddy of the Almighty. That donkey was kicking and bucking and setting up a ruckus. He ran up on Miss Carolyn Beasley's porch, and there he stood, braying and refusing to let anyone near him. Stan's crowd, now doubled in number, howled with laughter. Someone called the sheriff and reported a camel, a herd of sheep, and three Arabs running up and down Main Street. Stan hooked a thumb in Bill's direction. Of course, Bill's crew assumed someone was already in their Christmas cups, but figured they'd better follow up. Stan had another sip of his now tepid coffee. You are stretching it a bit there, Stan. Bill stirred his coffee and tried to avoid eye contact with the people at the table. Well, in the meantime, Miss Beasley's on the 911 hollering about a jackass refusing to leave her front porch. So the dispatcher thinks she's talking about a drunk and sends a deputy and a fire crew to help. Imagine their surprise when they get there and it's a pissed off donkey now settled on their front porch glider and refusing to budge despite Miss Bailey's. Beasley's poking and prodding it with the broom. Stan takes a deep breath. 
In the meantime, while she's threatening to go get a gun and shoot the damn thing, Bill and his partner are at the corner of Main and Church Street looking around and ready to call it a night. Right that moment, the camel walks through the bank's drive through bay. It then walks out into the expansive lawn behind the drive through and decides to hunker down for a rest. No. Stan tilts his head toward the sheriff who was now who has now pulled his hat low over his head in an attempt to hide in plain sight. Bill must not have believed his own eyes and not keen to call it in, so he tells his partner to do it. We hear it on our radios and commence to laugh and teasing, not believing and thinking they are playing a prank on all law enforcement. Well, Shelby called back to the TV to his news editor and asked for a live feed. They had Shelby go live while they got their dang helicopter up in the air and started following the chase on the TV. The entire cafe was listening intently, except for Bill, who was shoveling down his breakfast as quickly as humanly possible. Bill decides to go get the camel. In the meantime, Tom Beasley and some deputies are trying to talk Mrs. Beasley into giving them the shotgun she's got aimed at the damn donkey. Seems she'd been in the Christmas sherry and was a few sheets to the wind. Some discussion commenced over which jackass she was going to shoot first, her husband, the one on her swing, or the cops on her front steps. Then the helicopter is overhead with their bright lights shining down, backlighting Miss Beasley in her bathrobe and sponge curlers, waving that dang gun, and the noise from the rotors sets the donkey off again. He jumped over her porch rails, cleared her giant hydrangeas, and was off lickety-split. Deputy Perdue took off in pursuit on foot and left Mr. Beasley to sort out the missus and her gun. Now the chopper is following Perdue, who's lumbering after the damn donkey. Perdue's size 15 shoes and his 48-inch waist ain't doing him any favors as he heads down 5th Street in hot pursuit. Finally, the donkey ends up in the shipping dock at the post office, and Perdue corners the little bastard. He decides to put him in a headlock so he can hold him until help comes. The donkey took a two-inch chunk out of Purdue's shoulder, and I hear tell Purdue bit a notch out of that ass's ear in retaliation. Sounds like Purdue, don't it? The farmer finally showed up with the trailer and said that the donkey was, was never so easy to load up and take out of anywhere. Lutha May took a seat, wiping tears from her eyes with her apron. Well, what about the camel? What about the sheep? Called someone at a far table. Well, the sheep were scattered hither and yon, but the kids were chasing them down. You could figure out where they were from all the calls to dispatch reporting there's a pack of teens hollering and screaming in my backyard porch carport. We had every sheriff deputy, the entire constabulary, and the fire department rounding up sheep. City cops refused to help, said they had to stay in reserve in case something actually happened that needed law enforcement. You ask me, they were glued to the TV watching the entire mess and eating Christmas cookies and drinking cocoa. Stan paused to let his listeners take it all in, not in agreement. But what about the camel? Lisa May insisted again. Well, Sheriff Bill Fowler was still trying to get that camel under control, Stan started. I thought he'd laid down, Darnell offered. Kneel down is more like it, Bill muttered as he slapped his menu shut and flipped it on the table in front of Lisa May. Stan pointed a finger in the air for emphasis. And I kneeled down camel who's decided he'd had enough excitement for the day is anything but under control. Have you ever spent any time with camels? Well, when I was in Iraq soldiering, we met all kinds of camels and their owners. Stan never missed an opportunity to remind the civilians in Lowndes County that he was a seasoned veteran. Camels are stubborn and are notorious for their moaning and groaning and general moodiness. 
and they scream their heads off when they are nervous or afraid. There's Bill, sweet-talking this cantankerous beast, who is plum-tuckered out from all the excitement and just wanted to be left alone, he nods toward the sheriff. So Bill gets the bright idea to just take a knee and hang out with the camel until Heather can be rounded up and trailer the smelly thing back to her farm. How long did that take, asked Betty, the color expert from the Deja Du salon. I'd have ridden him back to the farm, said one of the lawyers, chewing on a toothpick. Stan squinted at the fellow. Camels can be vicious. I heard tell why I, when I was in Iraq that a Bedouin from Kuwait left his camels hobbled in the sun and heat all day while the owner napped in the shade. When he woke up, he decided he'd move the herd to the shade. Stan rubbed his arm where he'd been winged by a stray bullet in the desert. The bull waited for the man to get close to him to remove his hobbles, and he leaned down and bit the man's head clean off. No, sir, you don't want to mess around with a pissed-off camel. Trust me. Bill shoved his hat back from his brow and slipped his chocolate-colored Brixton Cohen cowboy hat on his head. The giant badge above the brim reflected the bright January sun, distracting Stan's listeners, hopefully. Stan took a drink of water. Now, Bill, he just sits staring at the brute. They eye each other. The camel bellows and bleats every time that damn helicopter circled over them. Bill inched closer and closer and eventually was close enough to pet the camel's neck. Then he was able to sit next to the camel and rub his ears and talk to him about going home. Stan paused for one more dramatic pause and sip of water. But pretty soon, he heard from his deputy who'd gone back to get the cruiser. Heather says the camel's name is Rufus. Bill tried to not make Con eye contact with anyone at the table. Seems that camel took a shine to our sheriff, and pretty soon, Bill found Rufus's tickle spot. That damn one-ton brute began giggling. Stan imitated Rufus's laugh. It sounded like he was choking. You could hear that camel grunting and giggling all over the radio whenever Bill gave an update. By the time Heather got there, Bill had the camel trying to sit in his lap, rolling around with four feet in the air and slobbering all over his uniform. He loved Bill so much, he was trying to chew on his hair. Stan slapped his leg. Better my hair than my new hat. Bill used an index finger to push the back of his hat up to hide his face from his table mates, who were enjoying the embarrassment a bit too much for Bill's comfort. Heather finally got there with her trailer and a longer lead and some camel treats. Rufus looks at her from his comfy spot, mostly on Bill's lap, and decides he ain't going nowhere. Stan leaned forward on the table, setting both elbows in the heavily shellacked wood top. Now, Bill, he's had enough by then, sitting in camel dung, right cold, and it still has more sheep to go round up. And there sits Rufus, smiling ear to ear, his lips curled back, showing those huge yellow shoe peg bottom teeth, giggling and nuzzling Bill for more love. Stan got tickled and could not continue for a few seconds as he laughed at what was to come. That's when a photographer from the paper shows up, sticks a camera in their face, and snaps that photo of the two lovebirds that went on the front page of USA Today's Christmas Eve edition with the caption, Mississippi's Christmas Camel Whisperer. Grady held up the paper for proof. The crowd scrambled to the counter to buy one for a souvenir. Bill reached in his pocket, pulled out a five spot and flipped it on the table. Stan, you planning to work today or just sit here spinning yarns at my expense? 
Bill replaced his hat on his head before marching out the door and ignoring the patrons asking for his autograph. That's today's episode of the Tom Bigby Tales.